Hello, it's Julie Bindle, and today I'm speaking with Lindsay Smith, a lesbian in her 30s who is a rabid Newcastle United supporter. I mean, there's no accounting for taste, but carry on listening. Okay, joking apart, Lindsay was the subject of a four month investigation by a special unit set up to expose so-called hate speech in the game after she posted on Twitter, now X, about trans issues. They received a complaint, of course, from a trans activist. And then she's now been ended up with a ban until 2026. Let's hear from Lindsay about what happened and what is going to happen as she takes this case against Newcastle United forward. So, Lindsay, we met just before Christmas at a feminist event in Newcastle, which mm-hmm. is my hometown. And you're a Northeast girl, obviously, and a Newcastle yeah. supporter. And I heard from you then a bit about what was happening at the club. And I have to say, I was shocked to my core. Tell all our listeners now your story. Some of them, of course, will have heard it, read about it, because you've had quite a bit of publicity since it broke. Mm-hmm. But in your words, tell us what happened. So uh, basically on the 1st of November, I opened my emails to check when the ballot for the Chelsea game was going to open. Um, and when I did that, I found an email from the security office, security complaints, saying that my membership had been suspended because I was placed under police investigation for a hate crime um, with Northumbria police. It had come to their attention I was under investigation. So for that reason, they'd had to suspend everything. Um, So I rang the club immediately because I thought, you know, surely I'd know if I was under investigation for something this serious before the football club does. Um, got told by them that I was so then I got off the phone to them and I went straight to the horse's mouth and phoned Fourth Banks Police Station in Newcastle um, they told me they couldn't see anything so I reported a crime of harassment because I had a sneaky suspicion I was being targeted um, so they arranged to call me back on the Saturday so I kind of thought right okay we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there so I called back the club and said I'm not under investigation they've confirmed they've checked everything and the club say no you definitely are at that point, um, she promised that the police officer investigating would call me that night, um, which never happened. Um, and then so I thought, right, OK, if I'm going to get a phone call and whatnot, I'll just leave it for now. Um, I thought I'll leave it because the police are calling on Saturday. So I'll see what they say on Saturday. Saturday comes, still no sign of being, being under police investigation. They even went as far as to spend um, about 10, 15 minutes even making sure that the, the email was legitimate. You know, because the officer even remarked, you've never even so much as been arrested, Lindsay. And I said, that's that's it. I know, like, this is what's thrown me so much about the whole thing. Um, so that police officer said he'd try and get in touch with the office. I wasn't anticipating him getting in hold of them because it was a Saturday. Um, I got an email saying he couldn't get through to them. He'd keep chasing. And then I heard nothing more about that anymore. I've still not heard any more about it. Um, which I think is funny considering they told me the reason they had to... In- interview me is because they have to investigate every single crime that's reported so it's just a bit funny that they never actually investigated mine 
Um, so then I rang the club back on the Monday and they were still adamant I was under police investigation. And at this point, I thought someone's telling me lies. And I did a subject access request. And I warned them I'd be getting legal help. I actually said to them, you're not, my rights are not being considered in any of this, in, in any of it whatsoever. You've not given me a chance to defend myself. You treat me like a criminal. You know, I said that they were saying to me as well, it was only at the stage of them determining whether or not I'd committed a crime. So I hadn't even, it hadn't even been confirmed that it was crimed at that point in time, which is why I couldn't hear anything about it. So again, how can you suspend me when, there's not even anything there. There's not, not even anything crimed at that moment in time, you know? Um, so by that point, I'm getting really miffed. And like I said, I've done the, the subject access request and I only knew to do that because my girlfriend works in GDPR. So I'm very grateful for her. Um, and then the Wednesday came and that was the first interaction I had when I got home and found a slip posted through my door saying victim support with PC Lyons name and number on it. Um, and I rang him thinking it was something to do with my complaint, but lo and behold, it wasn't. It was this allegation. Um, he didn't even tell me what the allegation was. He just told me that I'd been invited in for interview under caution. I said, well, what's it about? He said, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, so I agreed. And then I just spent the next 24 hours crying and panicking really. <laughs> Understandably. I mean, most people aren't collared by the police during their lifetime. And actually, what's really ironic about this is that Northumbria police have got a very poor track record of dealing with serious crimes. They've got a cold case unit that is full to the brim of unsolved serious crime. And at the moment, they've got dozens of active police officers under investigation for crimes against the person more often than not women. So there's a huge problem with misogyny in Northumbria police, as there is with many other police forces, all of them, none of them are exempt. But I can speak about this with some authority because I'm from the North East, most of my family is still there, and I've just made a podcast series about an unsolved murder, which was an entire fuck-up um, by Northumbria police. So... I'm really disgusted that any resources would go to this Stasi-like investigation into your tweets, which weren't criminal and certainly weren't hate crime. And particularly when, and I want to ask you about this now, Lindsay, particularly when they're supposed to be encouraging more diverse groups to be season ticket holders, watch the game, go to the stadium... Because it has had a very bad reputation in the past for racism, for homophobia and for violence against women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, you can stand in the stands and I hear people say 10 times worse than anything I said stood in the stands, the, the language and the things I've heard. But you just, you know, you ignore it when you're in the ground. That's the that's the theatre of football. That's that's what it does. You know, it's a it's a it's a performance. You know, it's it's a it's it's where people go every week to get their anger out or whatever. You know, you shout at the top of your lungs, you shout and you scream, you cheer, you you scream, you're angry. You know, it's every single emotion. You're up and down throughout the entire game, um, and, and you do you hear all sorts. I mean, I remember once I was at a Newcastle game and there was a female lines woman on, and the things I was hearing shouted at her, if she didn't wait, you know, if she got a decision wrong, like you know, 
if she if she waved the flag the wrong way for a throw in the the stuff you'd hear around you know which would have all been about her being a woman as opposed to her messing up with a decision so give me a taste if you can bear to i'm not going i'm not i'm not asking you to say anything you're uncomfortable with but give me a taste of some of the stuff you've heard men in the stands shout I mean, you'll just, I don't ever hear racism. That's one thing that I do not hear when I'm in the stands, you know. Um, but it's just obscene names that they're calling people, you know. They'll call the referee all kinds of names. I'll hear the see you next Tuesday word everywhere. And I don't like that word. Like, I don't mind. I can stand it being used in certain contexts if it's being used in a funny way. But when someone's saying it to someone, I just think, I think it's such a horrible word to say to someone. Um you know, and you'll you'll hear people like they'll be going, oh, I'm, I'm going to kill you and stuff like that. You know, it's just silly things like that. The the things that come out in anger when you're in the stands, I suppose, you know. Um, what happens shout when like, you... They'll shout, they'll shout like the worthless, you're a piece of this, you're that, you know, and it's it's very personal to the people that are there. You know, I mean, like they'll they'll even get the same way with players. When Jordan Henderson comes, the whole stadium sings, you're just a sad Mac and bastard. Um, when Jamie Vardy was there, they were all singing, your wife is a grass. So right. digging at his wife, you know, right. and, and those are the things you'll hear. Um, and they will target people personally. But like I say, that is the theatre. That is what football is, unfortunately. You know, you don't go into a football stadium expecting it to be all sunshine and rainbows, really. That's true enough. However... If they are going to become so pious and so pure and check people's Twitter accounts for any so-called perceived transphobia, which clearly um, was completely misplaced in terms of what you've been accused of, then, I mean, this is horrific, the idea of it, then they should be policing everyone for everything and you wouldn't get anyone in the stand. But depending on which values they were adhering to, it seems to me that the only so-called oppression that matters when it comes to these institutions that have been captured by the likes of Stonewall is is about trans ideology and transphobia. It, it seems that they don't give a damn about women. I mean, of course, a lot of the football stadia cleaned up their act when it came to racism. And partly they did that because so many of the players are of colour, are black, um, that there was a big campaign back in the 90s, kick racism out of football. There's never been kick uh, homophobia, kick misogyny out of football. So they choose their battles, don't they? Yeah, it's if there's anything that's become clear to me throughout this whole thing, it's how people are willing to pick and choose what they're appalled by. You know, um, I'm appalled by things every single day. I'm appalled by things I hear coming from the other side of this argument. You know, but I don't go, I, I just either block because I don't want to see that stuff on my timeline. I don't want to see people spreading misinformation and everything. So me being a grown up, you know, I tend to just block. I mean, before all this kicked off, I'm not going to lie. I would argue back. I was referred to as last word Lindsay for a little while because I just always had to have the last word. But since this has all started, um, I've, I've just stopped because it's just not worth it. People are looking for me to do it now and I'm not willing to give them the satisfaction. So you're banned from uh, attending any game until 2026. The police clearly are not going to pursue you for anything because you didn't commit a crime. Uh, what is your next move? 
So um, I know that we've got, I, I submitted a complaint to the IOC that went in, um, I think it was about half past six last Friday. IOC, tell the listener what IOC is. That's the data protection regulator, basically, for a breach of, um, I believe that Newcastle United and the Premier League have breached GDPR. Um, they've mishandled my sensitive information. Um, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get onto that report they did on me, won't we, at some point. You know, that's the biggest the biggest thing of it all. Um, the fact that the club handed my sensitive information over to Northumbrian police, gave them my address, gave them my name, gave them everything for them to come and investigate me and what to what I believe now, just so they had a reason to get me out of that stadium. So here's a question, and I know it's one that your lawyers will be asking. Who else have they reported to the police? Who else have they investigated? Well, this is the question, and this is why um, we thought it was so important with the Free Speech Union um, for me to come forward, because I didn't want to originally. I mean, you you remember when you met me, how how overwhelmed I was by all of it. Um, you know, I was just taking it in my stride. I didn't really know what to do with myself or where to put myself. Um, but I knew I didn't want my face out there at that point in time, mostly because it was it, for my partner's sake. She's She's a really shy private person, so which is so surprising she's with me, you know, because I am so gobby. So we thought um, it would be really important when my story broke again, because for me, for it to be as impactful as it needed to be, unfortunately, someone's face had to be attached to it. Um, and it just turns out it's me because I'm the first person to have the savvy to do this and actually see what they're doing. You know, not everybody knows that you can do a subject access request. Not everyone knows you're even entitled to that information that they hold on you, but we are. We're entitled to everything that has our name on it. So the Free Speech Union have put a link on their website um, where people can go in and fill in subject access requests for the Premier League and for the clubs. So they can, so anybody who's been banned in the past for something similar can do these subject access requests now. And we'll find out just how many more people have had these secret operations done without their knowledge. That's that's the plan in all of this now, because it's much bigger than anything I've said or done at this point. You know, right. it's it's bigger than that now. It is. And obviously you've been put through hell. It's also curtailed your life in that you are a season ticket holder. These season tickets are not cheap. It's something you love. You're proud of being a Newcastle supporter. How has it impacted on you, except for the stress and the horror of being visited by the police and having this this absolute you know, disgraceful slur on your character and on your reputation? Um, I mean, that's all been really, really horrible, you know, I mean, but I'm I'm not I'm not unused to being called names, if that makes sense. I've always been called names, you know, even from being a kid, it was fatty or whatever, just whatever names it was you could get, you know, you're ugly, you're fat, you stink, you're, you'd get called a dyke or you'd get called a slag, you know, <laughs> it's just the way, it, yeah. it's the way it is when you're growing up. Um, so I'm used to people doing that to me, but what does hurt me the most in all of this is the fact that if this had been someone, just a random idiot on the internet, who didn't like me um, and thought they'd give it a shot, I think I'd feel a bit better about it. But the fact that this was all brought to my door because the football club, someone in that office at the football club decided they didn't want me in that stadium. They didn't like what I was saying. So I'm going to, and it wasn't even a non-crime I was logged for. It was an actual hate oh. crime. 
Dear God. Um, so for the rest of my life now, if I go for a job interview and I'm asked that question, I'm not a liar, so I have to say yes. If I go for a job where it requires a deep DBS check, it'll flag up that I've been investigated for a hate crime. And I think that's what's that's what's hurt me the most in all of this is because it wasn't just some spiteful person on. I mean, it was a spiteful person on the Internet, but it's a spiteful person on the Internet who has connections with that club. That's what I suspect is going on. That's the picture I've gotten from everything I've seen. I am still waiting for confirmation. I have my suspicion of who it was at this point. But until I get what I want back from the police who are now investigating my complaint because Harry Miller's made sure they are um fair cop so i've asked them for all of that information i've asked them for um i want to know who reported me so who the comp- original complainant was on both because there was two i want to know if it was different people or the same person twice i want to know um who handed the information over from the club to the police i want to know who in the police decided it was relevant to crime in the first place who in the police that decided to ignore harry miller's warning and just come to my door two hours later anyway instead of reading the material that was sent so there's a lot of information that i am due to get back from the police so i'm just patiently waiting for it because mm. i think that's gonna that's gonna clear a few things up for me i think julie I think it will, and definitely the fact that you're taking a complaint and pursuing this is is great for all of us, and as you know, we'll give you all the support we can. But just tell me a little bit about your background, how you came to be critical of gender ideology, what made you send those tweets in the first place? Well, um, I mean, we touched on this when we last met. Um, I was, I, I really, I would say I peaked um, when that server met police officer killed, raped and murdered, kidnapped Sarah Everard. There was something about that case that just triggered something in me. You know, it was like a switch went off. And I realized suddenly that everything wasn't okay. You know, I've been in a bubble of feeling like, no, everything's all right, women are okay. But there was something with that case that made me go, this isn't right. This is still so, so wrong. Um, And it ended up stirring up um, emotions in me where I ended up reporting um, abuse, sexual abuse that I suffered when I was between the age of 11 and 12. Um, I was sexually abused and I'd held that in for a long, long time. I lived in Grimsby when it happened. Um, And when we moved up to the Northeast when I was 15, it was a bit like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. I thought it doesn't matter now, I'm away, but it's always been there. And I didn't realize until I'd reported it and did my therapy afterwards, just how broken I was. Like all the years, my late teenage years and twenties were spent um, at work just so I had the money to go out and get off my face. You know, that was all I did. I worked and partied, worked and partied. And, you know, I lost friends over it because I would just always be, but and at the time I couldn't explain why I was like that. I didn't know, you know, but obviously with therapy and, and working on myself, I realized now I was, punishing myself for something that that was never my fault you know I was hating myself and ruining myself really so I mean when I think about it he took he probably took about 15 15 nearly 20 years of my life you know um which is quite a hard thing to 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 get my head around you know um but I'm glad I'm glad I peaked with it all and it needed to happen you know um 
but that is what did it and then I just gradually got more and more irritated the more women's spaces I'm seeing being eroded away there's no you know you see lesbians trying to do a speed date at night and then they're getting protested and picketed by trans rights activists and and I'm thinking the thing like what what is your problem just let us have a space where we can be without you blokes right exactly and and actually it's really interesting the way that you came to get angry become very protective of women's rights and against the impunity with which men can behave it's what brought me to feminism experiencing sexual violence as a very young person and and that is what kept the kind of flame of anger burning which is a constructive thing you've directed it absolutely appropriately because this is this movement is a men's rights movement looking to remove our rights and to be able to just do what the hell they want in the name of progress. And so good for you. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I'm sorry that you had those years in the wilderness. But I'm really, really glad that you found your voice and that you found your strength in such an impressive way. And you will, without question, um, I mean, I'm sure that you've made lots of friends through this, but you know your your life is clear is clearly despite the horror of having to go through this. I'm sure your life is a lot richer and clearer than it it, it was a few years back. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, I feel like I've got my sense of purpose. My whole life, I've just wondered what you know when you've got that feeling you're meant for something more. There's something you're meant to be doing, but I never knew what it was. I've spent my whole time, like I say. My youth, I just wanted to have a good time. I was a good time girl. Um, but obviously since I've reported my abuse, I've been through my therapy, I've really got gotten myself sorted. You know, that's that's where everything's really started to blossom for me. Um, you know, and, and it does, it just feels like this is this is my purpose. This is this is what I need to do as a woman, you know, because there's so many women out there that can't say what I'm saying. They can't because they'll lose their jobs. You know, the teachers, they're in the police force, the the doctors, the nurses, they work on receptions, you know, you just, it's awful. I've, I've had people come into my business and thank me for saying what they can't say. I had two customers come in today who travel all the way from Newbiggin to come and thank me today, which was really lovely. And it's it's when that happens, um, it just reaffirms that everything I'm doing is right. Doesn't you know, and, and, it, and it, yeah, and it just shows me as well that, this isn't about me now. Like I'm the face of it, but this isn't about me now. This is about every single woman who can't say what I am saying, whether you are a gay woman, a straight, you know, a lesbian, bisexual, whether you're heterosexual, if you are a biological female, adult human, female woman, you know, this is this is all of our fight. Totally. And that's what the women's liberation movement means. It's a movement. And it means that even if we disagree quite fundamentally on many things, that we're united in demanding our rights, but also demanding that the privilege that boys are afforded at birth ends now. It ends now. And this is why, you know, trans activism has always been about furthering the already considerable rights of men over women. And I'm not saying, of course, that all trans people have that motive, I don't believe in the concept of transsexuality. 
transgenderism, but I think that the vocal movement and those that reported you for those tweets and those that come after those of us that are visible in this battle, it's motivated by misogyny. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, I'd say, actually, that's the biggest thing I've noticed um, since Friday. When everything broke on Friday, everyone was pretty quiet, you know. But the more attention I've gotten and the longer it's gone on and the more support I've gotten, the more aggression that's come in. Like anybody who's actively supporting me, you've got people jumping in and trying to badmouth me, slander me, take things I've said out of context in the past. You know, they're all enjoying doing that, getting little snippets of things I've said and trying to spin it on a whole new narrative, which they can do. That's fine. I don't care because I know what the tweets meant. You know what I mean? Anyone anyone can run around and take something out of context. That's, that's no skin off my nose. But what I did notice, I have noticed, is that I'd say about 99% of the abuse I've gotten since it broke on Friday and, and the whole time is all off men. Mm. How interesting. And what kind of things have they been saying, if you can bear to repeat any of them? Well, yesterday I had people laughing about my dog dying. What? When I was on, yeah, I went on Julia Hartley Brewer um, and she was asking me, she said, she mentioned about the dossier um, and how they got me images of walking my dog. And obviously um, about three weeks before all this happened, two and a half, three weeks before this happened, I actually had to have my dog put to sleep. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, he was 16. I do get upset. Um, he was 16. But he was a good boy. I'd had him since I was 19. I'd had him about 15 years. Um, so I had to have him put to sleep. And obviously, I've, I've barely even, I think the shock had barely worn off by the time this all started. Um, and all I said yesterday was I haven't even really been able to grieve my dog properly because of everything that's happened. And I've just had loads of men saying, I'm glad a dog's dead. Um, a, dog, a dog probably topped himself. Um, she had my support until that. What a, what a mug. Um, three weeks is more than enough time to grieve a dog. You know, just just everything. I know it's just everything. It's sick. And, you know, obviously, I, you know, a fellow dog lover here. Um, I had to have um, my dog euthanized just before Christmas, Maisie. She was 16 and a half. It's a terrible pain. It's awful grief. It's awful grief. And first time I ever had to, uh, that, that's the first time I've ever done it myself because I'd had him since I was 19. Yeah. So I think it affects you so much more when it's the first one. Yes. You know, yeah, um, so I am, as you can tell now, because I'm crying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am still struggling with it, you know. Um, of but course it's just, you are. It's, it's, you know, just them all turn around saying I'm lying, you know, or... She's grieving. She was grieving a dog, but she could still troll people on Twitter. Like wow. just because I'm grieving my dog doesn't mean that I'm not going to still sit here and try and have a sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely you know, thick. Yeah, I've always been thick the kind of girl I will laugh laugh things off, any kind of abuse and stuff. But there's just certain lines what that people will cross that I can't stand. I remember the day I had him put to sleep, and I let everyone on my Twitter know because loads of people loved him. He was such a good boy. Um, and I said, Chester's in doggy heaven now. Um, thank you for, you know, all your well wishes. And literally had people quote tweeting it saying, glad a dog's dead. Saying, oh, the dog, the dog probably wanted it. The dog probably wanted, pro dog probably wanted to jump off the time bridge and things like that. You know? Absolute sadistic. These bastards. same people are the ones who are calling me a hateful bigot for saying what I say. 
Interesting. And that's the thing that blows my mind. Like it's what rules for thee, but not for me. You see, it's it's that kind of example that shows what these people are motivated by. Hatred, sadism, cruelty. And those women like us, you, me, so many other countless women and thankfully increasing numbers of men who are challenging transgender ideology are doing it because we want to protect women, girls and lesbian and gay people who are the most affected by this. So they, with their sadism, can fuck right off. And, you know, I'm sure that if Chester could come back and bite them all on the backsides and the bollocks, that's exactly what he would do. He would. I mean, he's he's sitting with me now. He's up in his box. You know, I've got him up in his, up in his box up there in his paw print and I've got a snip of his hair and that. So he's here. I, I, I'm with you. I'm so 100% with you on that dog grief. And we should talk separately about it and give each other a bit of... A bit of um, support, because I'm still I'm still crying about Maisie every day. Yeah, I, do you know, I was in London um, over the weekend, as you know, like Monday and Tuesday, and the whole time I was there, I was just crying about my dog. I think I was a bit homesick, <laughs> you know, because that's not often I travel away anymore, but it was just the last, the last few days, it's really been on my mind. And I think that's the thing with grief, is you can't control right. when it's going to start getting to you, you know? So it's almost like... I was in shock after losing him and I was devastated. But then all of this has happened. Right. And now and now things are coming to a climax here. I think it's honestly starting to hit me that my dog's gone. I, I think that's understandable. And what people don't understand ever is the effect that this stuff has on women that are targeted. Because it taps into anything that we're vulnerable about, anything that we're upset about at the time. And yet so many people don't understand why this is a devastating loss. Fair enough, if they haven't had pets, if this hasn't happened to them. I don't expect them to understand. But this is an example of something that if you're attacked by these vicious bastards, you have no room to cope with life when it kicks you, such as losing a beloved pet, or you might be going through hell at work, or you might have split up with your relationship. You've got no reserve left. And what they do is they dig in harder when they know that. This is all about punishing women for speaking out about our rights and refusing to be to be cowed by them. I mean, tell me about the game. Tell me about watching the match and about what you love about it. Because I grew up in a family of Newcastle supporters, except for my uncle, who is Sunderland. We won't go there. But... Always the match was on, always. And, you know, I always hear from one of my brothers or, um, you know, another member of my family about how Newcastle are doing because I don't, I don't watch the game usually. What are you missing? It's the, the buzz of a match day, the anticipation, the build-up, you know, especially even if I didn't have a ticket, you'd still have that. It's a different kind of anticipation if you know you're going into the ground as to what it is if you're just going to be in the pub watching it or whatever. But if I didn't have tickets and it was a home game, I wanted to get as close to that atmosphere as I could. And I would be around the stadium. I'd be in Shearer's bar watching it, you know, and I'd get there super early with a table next to a toilet because it fills up quite quick. So you've got to get there early with your table. So I'd be really drunk by the time the game would even <laughs> kick off, you know, but that's all part of the fun. Um, 
But when it comes to going in the stadium, it's that buzz. There's a there's an electricity in the air on a match day, especially if it's a big game, a big game with a big club coming or there's a lot on the line. You know, you just get that nervous anticipation. I think the biggest one I could probably say, um, the best atmosphere I think I ever experienced was this season, which I'm so glad I got to go to it before they decided to ban me. Um, I went to see Newcastle play PSG at home in the Champions League. It was so busy in the city that night that me and my friend Les, we never usually go in the ground. We usually go in about 40 minutes before kickoff, find where we are, have a quick beer, then go sit and watch the game. Um, but the bars were just packed. You could not move. So we just went straight into the ground um, and just had some drinks in there before the game. Um, but the atmosphere, like everybody watching Kylian Mbappe warm up, this, they were singing, they were shouting and... There were just, it was like the perfect atmosphere that night. It really was. It was just, it was hostile, volatile for the opponent. It was electric for, for us and our team. And when Miggy scored the first goal for us in, God, since, you know, how many years in the Champions League, I have never, like, the stadium was shaken because everyone was just going wild. I remember I had my Apple watch on and it buzzed telling me I was in a loud environment and I had to turn it down. You know? Brilliant. But but we didn't care. Like stand, standing in there, listening to the Champions League tune, hearing the crowd sing it and we were on it. We were screaming for every single challenge. We were up and cheering it like it was a goal. You know, it was that, that's what it's about. It's that you go in there and you're all at the anticipation, but then once you're in there, you can just let it all out as well. You end up leaving feeling like. So it's a, it's like a, it's almost like a form of therapy, and it's almost like a community as well. I mean, I'm sure you wouldn't want to be friends with all of them in the stadium, um, in the ground, but it is a kind of form of it's a tribe, isn't it? And what they've done is they've taken that away from you, albeit temporarily. Can you imagine yourself when this complaint goes through, it will undoubtedly be upheld. I'm crossing my fingers here. What will it feel like, I wonder, you going back into the ground? Honestly, I've thought about that. I was talking with my mum about it today because, um, you know, I'm always with my mother. She's been brilliant through all of this. Um, but I actually don't know if I'd feel safe. Like, even if they rescinded it now, I don't think I'd feel safe. Like, they've made it so I don't feel safe going in there now. When now I've seen the lengths they've gone to to do what they've done to me, and I'm still finding things out, what they're saying and doing now, I just can't talk about it because I don't like giving them a heads up on things I've found out. Who you know? are they? Who are they? Newcastle United, within so the club. Within the club, Yeah, right. things that they're saying I've done and, and just the things they're doing to try and justify what they've done to me. Rather than turn around and say, uh-oh, we might have got this one wrong, they'd rather keep scrambling to try and find a way to justify what they've done. Well, let them carry on digging. You know, they've got a big trowel and they're digging themselves a bigger hole than they already have. So um, who is it that said, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake? So just let them do that because obviously they are so in trouble for this and as I've said to you all along all the support that we can give is yours we'll keep talking we'll have you back on the podcast again when there's any update and I'll be up in Newcastle soon to see you and I'll buy you a drink 
How does that sound? That sounds brilliant. You know, you, I don't need much enthusiasm to go to the pub, Julie. Oh, well, I'll take I'll take you there, darling, for a drink. We'll have a nice time. We'll sit and, and reminisce and, and remember our dogs together. We'll remember our dogs and we will also talk about the North East and my love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, Lindsay. You're a star. Now, isn't that just outrageous? Does it make your blood go cold and boil at the same time? It does me. I'll keep you posted. Watch this space. Obviously, we all give Lindsay every bit of support that she needs. Bye for now.